so great to be able to present a portion of God's Word to you, and I want to thank you all for allowing me to come here to speak and present a sermon from God's Word, and I pray that it will be beneficial to all of you. And uh, for a moment, I'd like you to engage in a bit of a thought exercise with me. I'd like you to, to imagine that you are a young man or a young woman, maybe, maybe 13, 14, 15, maybe 16, and I want you to imagine that you're part of a family that serves in a position of authority, that serves in a position of authority maybe in the U.S. government. And just imagine what that would be like. Now imagine that the U.S. government has been invaded and has been destroyed, and certain members of uh, the families that had served in positions of authority in the U.S. government, the invasion, the invading army said, you know what, we're going to take some of these young people and we're going to take them back to our country. You know, imagine it's China. Imagine it's the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. They say, you know, we're going to take you back to China. And these young people who knew so much about the authority of the U.S. government and who knew officials that were part of the U.S. government, we're going to turn them into communists, and they're going to serve in our nation. And we're going to make sure that they do this so that, for one, the, maybe the people back in the U.S. are cowed, and they know, oh, we've got your young people over here. Now imagine you're in that situation. You're a young person that's been taken out of your home, taken away to Beijing, and told you're going to be a communist now. And in fact, you're going to be a communist, and you've got to be an atheist as well. What would you do in that situation? How would you comport yourself? What would be the emotions you'd have about that? Now imagine, imagine one other thing. Imagine that your family had been involved in maybe rebelling against China before the Chinese came back and invaded. Ma imagine that we had been in subjugation to China, had been paying tribute to China, and we decided, you know what, we're going to rebel against China. We're going to try and team up with some other power and we're going to rebel against them. And that's why China had come and brought you away. Imagine your family had been a part of that. What kind of emotions do you think you'd have about that, about being taken away from your homeland, from your family? Now, as I've described this to you, it's possible that as we've been going through this thought experiment together, you've been thinking of characters from the Bible who were taken away from their homeland. Maybe, maybe you're thinking of Joseph. Maybe you thought of who we're going to be talking about a little bit today, which is Daniel. And it's someone that we're all probably pretty intimately familiar with, the character of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's a, a very interesting and powerful character for us. Uh, there's so many wonderful stories in the, and accounts in the book of Daniel about how Daniel comported himself in this particular situation. He had been taken out from his homeland. He had been a member of the nobility of the notable families of Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he came, because the people of Israel had rebelled against him and tried to throw off the yoke of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had come and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a bunch of you with me back to Babylon. This is the beginning of the exilic period of exile for the people of Israel. And it was a portion of the people of Israel. And the first people taken away, that was the people that Daniel was a part of. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and just read with me the first eight verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, 
and he brought them to the land of Shinar, on the ha- to the house of his god, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his god. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that he should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned these names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up in his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food, or with the wine from which he drank. So he sought permissions from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. But, you know, I ask you to think about what your responses might be to that hypothetical scenario if you were taken away from your homeland and told we're going to train you up into this new system. And it's, it's clear to us what Daniel's response was to this. It's clear that he said, you know, I'm just not going to be defiled by the things that these uh, individuals that have taken me away are a part of. And it seems a very simple thing. The story of Daniel and the book of Daniel, it opens with Daniel his, his uh, thing that he will cling to is dietary law. Uh, I won't eat these things that might defile myself. And there's a couple ways to think about this. One is that it is strictly, he just doesn't want to eat any unclean foods. It doesn't actually specify that that's the case here. Another possible hypothesis is that da- this type of food that would be served to the king's officials would have been sacrificed to idols or part of some religious ceremony. And Daniel didn't want to partake in that. And you'll notice as if we read further that Daniel uh, requested a diet of vegetables. And uh, that would certainly take it away from any meat sacrifice to idols. That's a possible hypothesis. It doesn't directly tell us it was because the food was unclean. Um, it doesn't directly tell us that it was because the food was sacrificed to idols. But some, some possible hypotheses that we can consider. Why is it, do you think, that Daniel would have chosen, you know, this is where I'm going to stand my ground, dietary law. And you might think, you know, if we were taken away, that you might think, maybe I'm just thinking about survival. Maybe I'm just thinking about making sure that I don't stick my neck out, make myself someone who would be a target to these people that have already taken over my homeland. And Daniel said, you know, uh, this dietary law, this is important to me and important to God. These whatever he's partaking in, he says, I'm not going to defile myself. I mentioned that he was most likely a young man. Uh, We don't know exactly how old Daniel was, but it's quite possible he was as young as 15, 14, 13, maybe as old as 18, but probably unlikely that old when he was taken away. So he was a man who had, a young man who had spent his childhood knowing that something like this was probably going to happen. And you, you might ask, why do you think he knew this was going to happen? Well, Daniel was a contemporary, as a younger man, with the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah spoke of these things. But before we go to the book of Jeremiah to say, look at some of the things that Jeremiah spoke of, I'd like us to just uh, go back to the time of Jeconiah. 
the, or Jehoiakim, pardon me. Jehoiakim, turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, because we're told uh, early on in uh, Judah's history, they're constantly reminded that God will judge them for leaving him. And in fact, this, when it's written about in 2 Kings, 2 Kings in chapter 24, we're told exactly why this judgment was falling upon Jerusalem. In fact, let's begin in chapter 23 and verse 36 of 2 Kings. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebediah, Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, the bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and for all the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. The sins of Manasseh. This is referenced a number of times in the books of the Kings and of Chronicles. What were the sins of Manasseh? Turn with me, if you would, back to uh, chapter 21 of 2 Kings, just a couple pages back. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal, and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. For he built altars of the most of, for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through fire. He practiced witchcraft and used divination and dealt with mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he set the carved image of the Asherah that he had made in the house of the Lord, said to David and to his son Solomon, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from him, all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And it will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, if only they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the sons of Israel. Now the Lord spoke through his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. His ears will tingle if they hear of it. It'll be such a calamity. And that, that's the calamity that Daniel lives through as a result of this great sin. Uh, here in Second Kings, it's recorded for us that uh, you know, their sins were worse than the people that God had driven out before them. You know, oftentimes unbelievers will point to the book of Judges and the book of uh, Joshua and God's people driving out 
the people who are in the land of Canaan as some great atrocity that God's people had committed. They'll say, oh, look at how an unjust God this is. And yet, when we read the Bible, we, we read it on its own terms, and we know why God has done this. God did this because he was casting judgment on these people for the things that they partook in. Uh, we can see some of the things that, indeed, that Manasseh partook in, causing his son to pass through fire. That's the act of sacrificing your children to these false gods in the hope of bettering yourself, in the hope of bettering your people. Those are the kinds of things that Manasseh led the children of Israel away into. And Manasseh wasn't the first to do this. Other kings had also gone away from the Lord. And yet his sins were just so great that it becomes, indeed, this, this calling card that God will say, this is why you're being punished, because of these sins, the sins of Manasseh, these sins that people still partake in today. I mentioned Jeremiah was a contemporary. Um, so it, as, if you're thinking, if you think in terms of dates, which I sometimes do, I, I had a, a bachelor's in history. That was my undergraduate training. And in terms of dates, that we're talking around the time of 600 BC. Uh, six, 606 BC might be when Nebuchadnezzar had first taken out the first exile from Jerusalem. Jeremiah would have been prophesying probably from around uh, 618 BC down to 586 um, BC, so you know about a 30-year period. But Jeremiah was prophesying in this time. And if you would turn with me to Jeremiah, and consider that some of the things that Jeremiah are saying here might be things that Daniel was very familiar with before he was taken from his homeland and taken to serve in the court of Babylon. Jeremiah chapter, let's begin in chapter, I believe it's 22. Oh, pardon me, chapter, chapter 24, chapter 24. I'm sorry, chapter 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So again, this is right around the time Nebuchadnezzar would have about to be besieging the city of Jerusalem. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants and the prophets again and again, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go up and after, offer after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon seventy years." Seventy years, uh, the people of Judah would serve the nation of Babylon. 
those, Jeremiah had preached, he said, 23 years to the people, and they had not listened. He said, please turn away. God will relent. God will not punish if you will turn away. And yet the people of Judah would not turn away. And so this sort of preaching and this sort of uh, prophecy, uh, Daniel would have been familiar with. Again, as a young man, he would have been familiar with this. So as he's in the king's court, he is faced with a decision. Am I going to have bitterness for this fate that has befallen me personally? Did I partake in these sins? My family partook in these sins, but now I am the one being punished. I have been taken away. Am I going to just assimilate into the court of Babylon? Am I just going to become part of the court of Babylon? You know, let's read a, a little bit further in Jeremiah, in chapter 26 of Jeremiah. This is an account of Jeremiah giving a plea again to the people of Judah and of Jerusalem and foretelling of this great calamity that would come upon them. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak to them. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you will say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will listen to me, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, to, lis to listen to the words of my servants the prophets, whom I have sen been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and this city I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. When Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You must die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered about Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat in the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then the priests and the prophets spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard in your hearing. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change his mind about the misfortune which he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as is good and right in your sight. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on the inhabitants, for truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. You know, it, there are some members of the household of Judah that seem to have some some want for righteousness, some want, and some want to avoid judgment. Read on with me. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, No death sentence for this man, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then some of the elders in the, of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he spoke to all the peoples of Judah, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them? But we are committing a great evil against ourselves. 
So there were some who said, well, you know, other prophets have said this in the past. Or we can look at our own history, at Hezekiah. We can look and see that calamity was foretold to them, and they didn't put that man to death. They heeded his words, and they turned away from it, and God relented. So let's turn back to, back to Daniel. As I mentioned, he, he could have had so many different emotions, motivations, uh, so many different thoughts about the calamity that had befallen him, befallen him personally. And yet, let's read on about how he goes to this man who is over him with his request. It's so interesting in verse 8, Daniel says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So Daniel is a man who doesn't want to defile himself, and yet he's been told to partake in these things of the king, partake in these these banquets and this wine and this feasting, this is part of your training to be a member of the court of Babylon. And Daniel, not wanting to do that, he could have approached it in a lot of different ways. He didn't have to approach it this way. He could have said, well, I am a Jew and I am righteous before God. I will not do this. Whatever you do, I won't do it. I'm going to throw a fit or just dig in my heels and react in a way of pride, as maybe a young man might want to react. And instead, he takes the, the tack of, you know, I'm just going to ask. I'm going to ask if I can just act a little differently. Read on with me in verse 9. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your face looking more haggard than the youths who are of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king perfectly reasonable request of this official. You know, I've got a job to do. I've got to make you uh, appealing and make you look a certain way. It's, it's my job. And if I don't do that, I'm, I'm going to be put to death. I, my hand, life is in the hands of the king, the same as your life is. But Daniel said to the overseer of the, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. Deal with your servants according to what you see. Now we know the rest of this story. The ten days transpire and Daniel and his friends, they're better in appearance. But it's so interesting that Daniel chose this way to go about accomplishing his task, which is to not be defiled by the king's court. He went about it in a way of asking permission. He went about it in a way of humility instead of letting his own ego get in the way. And he even negotiated with this court official. He said, well, you know, yeah, you make a good point about this. Why don't you just watch? Let's see what happens. And he put his trust in God that, you know, I don't want to defile myself. I'll leave it up to God. I'll leave it up to God. I'll let him determine, is he going to influence the heart of this official? Maybe, so be it. And if not, I'm in the hands of this official. And I've done what I can to serve God. Such a, a powerful example for us. And Daniel, why do you think he made the decision to act with humility in this situation? I, I don't really know why he would have made that decision, why he would approach it in that fashion. And again, why would he choose not to defile himself? As we think about the culture and the, the city that he was taken out of and all the messages that the prophets had been preaching, and we think, think about, as well, the sins that had been surrounding the people of Israel, the sins that they had been engaging in. 
pursuing false gods. And that, that's a little, sometimes that's a little too anodyne for us or a little too antiseptic because we don't really think what that actually means, which as we saw in our reading about Manasseh, I mean, that often meant human sacrifice to these false gods. It meant putting your trust and faith in lies instead of in the truth. And Daniel, even from a young age, would have seen that around him, would have seen his peers and people who, uh, other officials and priests, worshiping false gods within the, the temple of God. These great acts of evil, the sins of Manasseh, multiplying blood of innocence within the halls of Jerusalem, within the streets of Jerusalem. So I, I put it to you that he, having witnessed those things, he had a choice to make. He's seen the judgment of the Lord has come down upon the people of Israel. So now he needs to decide, okay, well, the people of Israel, they sought after other gods. They sought to get their salvation from these gods, these false gods, and calamity was brought upon them. I'm just going to serve my God humbly. And I'm going to do whatever I can in this new situation. You know, it, in fact, the Jeremiah even gave instruction to the exiles, to those who were taken out of the land. He gave instruction in a letter, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 29. We can read of what, he, uh, what message he sent. Now, these are the words of, Jer of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people from Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by hand of Elasa, the son of Shephan, and Gemariah, and the son of Hilkiah from Zedekiah, king of Judah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You are to wish good things on this power that has overtaken you, that has brought you into subjugation. You are to pray for them. You are to put your goodwill in with their goodwill. If they prosper, you will prosper. And this is a heathen nation that God has raised up to judge the people of Israel. You know, if you would, in fact, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is, there's not a whole lot known about Habakkuk. Most people tend to think he prophesied a little bit before the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the exile period, probably around uh, 620 B.C., somewhere around there. I want us to read a little bit of what Habakkuk, um, the questions he has for the Lord. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, beginning in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you, you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? You, yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists, and contention arises. 
Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore the justice is, the, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You do not believe if you were told. And now the Lord is speaking. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than the wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sleep, sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. But they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. So there's a great temptation when you see judgment meted out. And there's a great temptation for the people of Israel, as Jeremiah is pointing out, to not wish good for these people. But rather to say, no, these are pagan people and we have no part of them. And yet the people of Israel were told, no, wish for their good. Because as the prophets had told them, these people are being raised up by God. These people are in God's hand. They are a tool of God. And God's judgment will be upon them. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. Now Habakkuk, he was so concerned about the iniquity he saw. And so he was requesting, what are you going to do about this, God? And God's answer is shocking to him. In verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will you therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? And now God's answer. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on the tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like shield. And he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunting song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, and how long, and makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them, because you have looted many nations. All the remainder of the people will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. God's answer to Habakkuk and, and the iniquity that's going on around him, he says, those people will be judged. And then Habakkuk said, well, why are, why are you raising up these evil people? What's, what about them? And God says, those evil people will be judged. Everyone is in the hands of God. 
That is the message of the prophets. Everyone is in the hands of God. Let's read in chapter 3. In chapter 3, a prayer that Habakkuk replies with, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, indeed, in the, in the story of Daniel, we have a perfect example of God in his wrath, remembering mercy. Mercy for the righteous, the righteous who would turn to him humbly and submit to him. So what, what are we to take from the story of Daniel, from this, his reactions to the powers that be, to the state, to the powers that are over him, to the world that he lived in? Have you ever thought of yourself as an exile? Have you ever thought of yourself as a sojourner, as someone not meant for this world? Or do you feel very comfortable here in this world? I think we go back and forth. Sometimes we feel very comfortable, and sometimes we feel completely alien, completely apart. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, in the opening to this epistle, the Apostle Peter writes to the saints, to those who are scattered, and he describes them this way, as aliens, as people who are exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The New Testament Christians, they had been called out from a world that was not too dissimilar from ours. Uh, the particular peoples that Peter is writing to here were all places that were part of what's known as the Hellenistic world, the Greek world. Uh, they were steeped in Greek culture, and there were also tons of different cults, different false gods that people would worship and try and gain favor from, and very, a very wealthy world. And the, this is the, the kind of places that the saints of the new first, the first century church were from. They were called out from this world, and as Peter writes, they were aliens. Go down with me to chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in a thing in which they slandered you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Aliens and strangers to abstain from these things. You know, much as the way that Daniel said, you know, I'd, I've decided I'm not going to partake in these great these things of the court of Babylon. I'm not going to partake and defile myself. Peter's writing to the Christians saying, you know, just, just as Daniel preserved himself and didn't defile himself, I'm telling you, you need to not defile yourself with these things. You know, and Peter's writing to groups that would have included Jews, but also would have included Gentiles, people who were had no knowledge before the preaching of the gospel of the Jewish faith. And yet he says, you are called from the Gentiles. He's, he's bringing Jew and Gentile alike together to say, well, now the Gentiles are those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Those are the Gentiles. No longer is it about whether or not you are Jew or whether or not you are Greek, whether or not you are Scythian. You can all be one in Jesus Christ. And I want you to be able to be excellent among the Gentiles because they'll slander you as evildoers. And so 
Peter echoes really something that Daniel did. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one in authority or to governors as sent by them for the punishment of the evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. As we feel alienated, as we feel as we're strangers on this earth, something that can be difficult to do is to feel like, oh, I am alienated, and so maybe it's hard for me to love people of this earth. Maybe it's hard for me to honor people of this earth. Maybe I want to call down judgment as Habakkuk was requesting judgment. And yet, Peter to the first century Christians, these Christians who at this particular time, there's not a lot of scholarly evidence that there was specific state-sanctioned persecution in these particular areas. There was certainly cultural rejection. And we can read that in the, the book of Acts when we read of the, of the riots that started in, in Ephesus, the people who had turned on them and they write and said, great is Diana of the Ephesians. We can see that those who had been called out and set apart, those first century Christians, they were, they were definitely not, not any love lost between them and the populace they were called out from. And yet, in the midst of all that, in all this conflict, Peter is saying, you honor all men. You submit to them. Now, listen, in, in verse. let's go on in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, if when you sin you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and suffer for it, patient, and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It's never easy to suffer. Suffer injustices, suffer indignities. And it's never easy um, to, to put up with that sort of behavior and that sort of treatment. And yet we are told to patiently endure it when we suffer at the hands of the authorities of this world, when we're told to, to suffer unjustly. Indeed, as we've talked, we, we put out a, a case where Daniel was able to navigate very adeptly this conflict between partaking in the king's food and keeping himself undefiled. And yet we know from Daniel's history that that wasn't always the case, that there were times where he had every reason to fear for his life. When the officials who were jealous stirred up the king against him, stirred up Darius against him, said, you know, don't let anyone pray to anyone else. They should only pray to you for a certain period. And Daniel said, well, I can't change who I serve. I still serve God, and I will still pray to God. And so he was thrown to the lions. And we read that with the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We say, oh, he's thrown to the lions, and God miraculously stopped up the mouths of these lions and preserved him. And, but Daniel didn't know that that would happen. He knew he could be preserved, but he knew if he wasn't, he still served God. And he put his hands into, or put his life into the hands of God. Indeed, his, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were cast into the fiery furnace, their response was, well, if we are to be preserved, God can preserve us, and if not, we follow God. We will not bow to you. We will not compromise our faith. Now, in verse 21, Peter writes, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, having an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. 
And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He entrusted himself to God. Jesus Christ, that, that perfect man who went to the cross for our sins and trusted himself to God, and that's exactly who we're to be following. Even as we're strangers in this land, even as we're called out, even as we are told to, to live this new life that's going to put us into conflict with the people of this world, we are to entrust God and put our hands in God's, or put our lives in God's hands. You remember the sins of Manasseh? We often, oftentimes, individuals feel that there's a barrier between them and God, an insurmountable barrier. They think, you know, sure, someone who has maybe sinned with, they've had anger, or they've, they have sins that maybe the world would look askance on and say, are those really sins, or are those really evil, are those just missteps? But then there are people who think, well, no, my sins are great, greater far than what anyone can imagine. And God has no part in me. Jesus Christ can't take it take care of those sins. Indeed, we would think that someone like Manasseh might feel that way. They can't turn to God. They've sacrificed their own children to God. Could you think of a, a soul blacker than that? And turn with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Chronicles. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Because even Manasseh could have a heart of repentance to draw closer to God. Beginning in verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. A man so evil, who participated in so much evil, and indeed led people in so much evil, he humbled himself before God, and God was righteous and dealt kindly with him. It wasn't enough to bring the people back from these idols that they had pursued, these false gods that they had pursued. But Manasseh turned back to God. I think there are so many in the world around us who have not been called into the glorious light of Jesus Christ who feel that they, their souls are too blackened, too darkened. And sometimes we look at them that way. We say, oh, your souls are too dark. You don't want Christ. Why would I even go to you with Christ, with the message of Christ? And yet even as people's lives are racked by sin and by the judgment of God, often that very judgment and that very thing that is disciplining them is an opportunity for them to draw closer to God and to have this heart of repentance. You know, Jeremiah, um, let us turn back to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as you read it, you'll, you'll realize it's 
it's not exactly chronological and there's many it's sometimes unclear exactly when certain things were prophesied or when they were spoken uh, but in, in verse in uh, chapter 23 we have Jeremiah speaking of the branch the branch that would come to redeem Judah woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture declares the Lord Therefore, says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their pasture. And they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up a branch, a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah spoke of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ coming to put to death sin, to overcome death and overcome sin. I, I, I don't know the, the backgrounds of each and every one of you here or your life story or where you currently feel you are in your relationship with God. I don't, don't know what, what the future for each and every one of us holds. I don't know if we'll be in a position where we are put in an antagonistic relationship with our own governments or some other government or with our fellow man. But Jesus Christ came to the cross so that we can know that we can trust in a God that judges righteously and that has forgiven us of our sins. You know, it's often useful to, to look at the names in the Bible and consider what they mean. The name Daniel, it means God is my judge. God is my judge. That would be such a terrifying thing if, like Manasseh, we felt convicted of our sin and didn't didn't really know if we entreated God if he would forgive us. And yet, as we can say, God is my judge. We can say it so boldly and say so with great confidence because of Jesus Christ. Were it not for Jesus Christ, it would be a terrifying thing to say God is my judge. And yet with Jesus Christ, knowing the righteousness of God as displayed for us on the cross in that self-sacrificial love, we can have confidence to approach God's throne because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. I don't know what your state is with God, what your relationship is with God. If, it, if any of you have, have a need to, for the prayers of this congregation, for my prayers, or you know of those who do, uh, soon we'll sing a, a song of invitation. And now would be a good time to come forward, to ask for the help of this congregation, ask for my help, ask for anyone's help. But most of all, you never want to wait for, for man. You never want to put your faith in, in princes, put your faith in the powers that be. And indeed, that was Judah's problem, was they put their faith in other countries in trying to create alliances to preserve them from God's judgment. Our faith is in God, and your faith can be in God. It doesn't need to be in me. It doesn't need to be in any member here, but in God our Father and in Christ Jesus. So if you have a need, come forward as we stand and sing.